MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, January 1st, 2024. Today, the Maine Secretary of State has disqualified Trump from the primary ballot for engaging in insurrection. The Department of Justice says it will sue Texas over its show-me-your-papers law if they let it go into effect. Ohio's Republican governor has vetoed a ban on gender-affirming care and transgender athletes in girls' sports. A federal judge rules that Idaho cannot ban gender-affirming care. The GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley forgot why the Civil War was fought. The Wisconsin Supreme Court orders new legislative maps. Michael Cohen used AI to generate bogus cases for his lawyer. The military has a new policy on sexual assault starting today. The new owner of the Washington Post was involved in a Rupert Murdoch hacking and bribery scandal. And President Joe Biden has issued a blanket pardon for cannabis possession. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dana. I missed you. I missed you too. Happy first day of 2024. We have a hell of a fight ahead of us this this year. Everyone, I hope you got some rest and I hope your (laughs) boots are strapped up and you're ready to hit the streets because we're doing it. Yeah, we got to do it. And we got to do it every two years from now on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. From here on out, no resting. This Mm -hmm. is it. No rest for the wicked. So uh, we will be doing that. And uh, we have a lot of headlines today because I wanted to catch up on some really big, important stories that happened over the past week. As you know, the beans has been sort of off of the breaking news stuff. I had a bunch of interviews lined up for you. I hope you enjoyed those, but I wanted to make sure we got in some of the more important stories. If there's something I miss, it's not on purpose. We just didn't have time to get to it. Uh, It doesn't mean that it's not important. I hope that uh, you know that. Uh, we do have some uh, quick hits today, though, so let's do those. And to make a long story short, too late. First up, the Maine Secretary of State has ruled that Donald Trump is ineligible to be on the primary ballot. But like the Colorado Supreme Court decision, she stayed her ruling pending an intervention from a higher court. Trump will stay on the ballot by default if nobody weighs in. If you want, listen to the latest episode of the Jack podcast with our guest, Judge J. Michael Ludig, for what he thinks the main decision will do, uh, namely pushing SCOTUS to chime in and what he thinks the outcome should be. Uh, We also go over this in more detail on this Wednesday's Clean Up on Aisle 45 pod. But Dana, I am so very proud of the latest episode of Jack. It is one for the history books. And we had an incredible time, Andy McCabe and I, speaking with Judge Ludig. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear it. I haven't heard it. And Nikki Haley. Uh, Apparently, Nikki Haley refused to say that slavery caused the Civil War during a town hall. She's now claiming that it was a Democrat Party plant sent to trip her up on one of the easiest fucking questions in the history of history, AG. Uh, Yeah, she then came back later to clean up her answer after getting a ton of backlash on her original answer saying, of course, the Civil War was about slavery, but it was also about freedom. 
freedom to do what exactly, Nikki? Embarrass yourself on national <laughs> stages across the country, apparently. Freedom to keep slavery. Jesus. I, they tripped me up with that difficult question, like... Damn you. What caused the Civil War and what's two plus two? Yeah. People being uncivil. That's Mm. what caused the Civil War. Liberties and freedoms. And we ramparted the airports and manned the ramparts or whatever the fuck Trump said that one time. (laughs) (laughs) And and remember when Michael Cohen's lawyer turned in a court briefing with three case citations that didn't exist at all? uh, And the judge demanded why? Uh, Well, now Michael Cohen has filed a brief answering that question, saying it was all my fault. Michael Cohen says, I used Google Bard, which is like ChatGPT. It's an AI program to write the brief. But I thought Google Bard was just a supercharged Google search engine and not an AI platform. And then Michael Cohen went on to say, I figured that my lawyer would have vetted those cases before (laughs) handing them in to court. Uh, We will let you know what the judge decides or has to say about it as soon as we know. All right. Thanks, AG. And President Joe Biden over the holidays, which seems like a great time to do this, issued a blanket pardon for cannabis crimes. He says, and I quote, in Proclamation 10467 of October 6, 2022, which is granting pardon for the offense of simple possession, simple possession of marijuana, I exercise my authority under the Constitution to pardon individuals who committed or were convicted of the offense of simple possession of marijuana in violation of the Controlled Substances Act and Section 48-904.01-D1 of the Code of the District of Columbia. Now, as I've said before, convictions for simple possession of marijuana have imposed needless barriers to employment, housing, and educational opportunities. Through this proclamation, consistent with the grant of Proclamation 10467, I am pardoning additional individuals who may continue to experience the unnecessary collateral consequences of a conviction for simple possession of marijuana attempted simple possession of marijuana, or the use of marijuana. Amen. Mm. Proclamation. It should be proclamation like 69420 or something. I know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally, completely amazing. I never thought in my lifetime I would hear a president acknowledge that these very simple drug possession charges are a, a barrier to employment and housing and educational opportunities. It's huge. Yeah. Huge. Super incredible. Good job. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Uncle Joe. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from the Associated Press, the liberal-controlled Wisconsin Supreme Court overturned Republican-drawn legislative maps on Friday. This is a week ago Friday. And ordered that new district boundary lines be drawn, as Democrats had urged in a redistricting case they hope will weaken the GOP majorities, which, by the way, were Ill, ill-gotten, okay? They, weren't, they aren't trying to weaken an even playing field here. They're trying to make everything nice and even again. Right. The ruling comes less than a year before the 2024 election, a battleground state where four of the six past presidential elections have been decided by fewer than 23,000 votes. And Republicans have built a large majority and large majorities in the legislature under maps they drew over a decade ago, Dana. The court ruled 4-3 with a deciding vote from Janet Protasiewicz, hoo-hoo, in favor of Democrats who argued that the legislative maps are unconstitutional because districts drawn aren't contiguous. New maps are likely to be unveiled in about two months. I imagine like a game show, like behind the curtain, like they <laughs> do, 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 la, la, and they unveil the new maps. And then the light comes down and we hear the angels, oh, and then everything's fair again. 
quote, because the current state legislative district contains separate detached territory and therefore uh, violate the Constitution's contiguity requirements. I hope I'm saying that right. I've never I've never said that word. We enjoin the Wisconsin Elections Commission from using the current legislative maps in future elections. That's Justice Jill Karofsky in the majority opinion. Democratic Governor Tony Evers, thank you everybody for my Wisconsinites for reminding mm-hmm. me that it's pronounced Evers, hailed the ruling saying he looked forward to submitting proposed maps for the court to review. Quote, and I remain as optimistic as ever that at long last, the gerrymandered maps Wisconsinites have endured for years might soon be history, he said. Dan Lentz, an attorney for Law Forward, which brought the lawsuit, called the ruling a victory for representative democracy in the state of Wisconsin. He went on to say, for too long, right-wing interests have rigged the rules without any consequences. Gerrymandered maps have distorted the political landscape, stifling the voice of voters. It challenges the very essence of fair representation and erodes confidence in our political system. Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss called it a sad day for our state and suggested it would be appealed, saying the U.S. Supreme Court would have the final say. He's very angry. (laughs) Uh, You should have seen the arm motions I just did. My Robin Voss impersonation is on point in 2024. The Wisconsin Supreme Court said it will proceed with adopting remedial maps in time for the 2024 election unless the Republican-controlled legislature can pass maps that Evers will sign. Evers vetoed the current maps. The court appointed two consultants who already had a hand in reshaping districts in other states. Jonathan Servas of Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh redrew New York's congressional and state Senate maps after the court struck down ones adopted by the Democratic legislature. Bernard Grothman of the University of California, Irvine, I think that's the aardvarks. I love those guys. Helped redraw Virginia's federal and state legislative districts after a bipartisan commission deadlocked. And if I got that mascot wrong, send it into us in a correction. I apologize in advance. Conservative justices also objected to the hiring of the consultants, saying their selection, the legal authority to appoint them, and their responsibilities all raise serious questions like, how will we ever win again on our shitty ideas? The ma- I added that part. The maps <laughs> from part- a direct quote, everyone. <laughs> the maps, the maps from uh, parties to the lawsuit are due by January twelfth, with supporting arguments due ten days later. Reports from the consultants are due by February first, with responses a week later. That means the court will release new maps likely sometime in late February or early March, unless the legislature acts first. Uh, and even if they do, they're not going to draw maps that Evers will sign. The state elections commissions had said the maps must be in place by March fifteenth. The Ides of March if the new districts are to be in play for the 2024 election. The lawsuit was filed a day after the court's majority flipped four to three for liberal control in August. And again, that's when uh, Justice Janet Protosewicz joined the court after her April election victory. Protosewicz called the GOP-drawn maps unfair and rigged during her campaign, leading Republicans to threaten to impeach her before she had even heard the case. She decided with the other liberal judges in striking down the current maps. So, they want the voters to decide when it comes to whether or not to put Trump on the ballot, but not when it comes to electing ju- justices to the Supreme mm-hmm. Court in Wisconsin there. Voss, who had threatened to impeach the loudest, backed off on Wednesday and said even if she ruled in favor of throwing out the maps, impeachment was super unlikely, he said. That's the uh, legal term. Protosewicz joined with Karofsky and Justices Ann Walsh-Bradley and Rebecca Dallet in the majority. Women will save this world. Conservative Justices Annette Ziegler and Rebecca Bradley and Brian Hagedorn dissented. Also a couple ladies dissenting. All right. All of the dissenting justices accused the majority of putting politics above the law. 
Quote, this deal was signed on election night, Ziegler wrote in her dissent. Four justices uh, remap Wisconsin, even though this constitutional responsibility is to occur every 10 years after a census by the other two branches of government. The public understands this. Yeah, no, they didn't. And they don't. That's why they elected Justice Janet Protasiewicz. Mm Mm-hmm. In a significant win for Democrats, the court said it would not favor maps uh, that have the least amount of change over existing boundary lines. The previous conservative-controlled court had adopted the least change approach for the maps adopted in 2022, which closely resembled the maps Republicans passed in 2011. The court agreed with Democrats, who argued in Wisconsin that the majority of current legislative districts, 54 out of 99 in the Assembly and 21 out of 33 in the Senate, violates the state constitution's contiguity requirement. Litigation is ongoing in more than a dozen states over U.S. House and state legislative districts enacted after the 2020 census. All right. Thank you so much, A.G. And I'll be honest with you with this next story, everyone. I thought there was a better chance of the second coming of Christ (laughs) than this veto happening, and I could not be happier about it. Okay, this is from the Associated Press. Republican Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, and if you live in Ohio, you know this is sort of shocking, vetoed a measure Friday that would have banned gender-affirming care for minors, casting the action out of step with many in his own party as thoughtful, limited, and, and I quote, pro-life. So he simultaneously announced plans to move to administratively ban transgender surgeries until a person is 18 and to position the state to better regulate and track gender-affirming treatments in both children and adults. Well, at a news conference, DeWine said he hoped the hybrid approach, which I don't fucking agree with, by the way, but I'm surprised that anything was vetoed, could win the support of a legislative Republicans who immediately signaled they've considered a veto override, as well as serve as a national model to states as gender-affirming care restrictions enacted across the country in recent years face lawsuits. Well, the vetoed bill also would have banned transgender athletes' participation in girls' and women's sports. DeWine said, now this is, this is what I want people to really take from this. DeWine said he actually listened to people on both sides of the legislation who also sincerely and truly believe their position best protects children. Fine. But he ultimately decided he could not support legislation that bans health care. So many patients, families, and doctors told him it literally saves lives. And I quote, this is from DeWine, ultimately, these tough, tough decisions should not be made by the government. They should not be made by the state of Ohio. He went on to say they should be made by the people who love these kids the most. And that's the parents, the parents who have raised that child, the parents who have seen that child go through agony, the parents who worry about that child every single day of their life. End quote. Shocking. This came from him. Mm-hmm. Now, the governor's veto drew swift rebukes, as you can imagine, on Friday from supporters of gender-affirming care bans, both in the state and nationally. While the Human Rights Campaign, and as, as you know, I do a lot of work with them, they're the nation's largest LGBTQ plus rights organization, and the American Academy of Pediatrics, Ohio's chapter, they also lauded the veto as a positive for some of the state's most vulnerable youth. Now, it was a moment of relief for Alicia and Aaron Burkle. These are parents from Cleveland to Astrid. By the way, Astrid is a 10-year-old transgender girl. The family has been looking into options, even considering leaving Ohio if gender-affirming care was banned. Mm -hmm. Well, since the legislation reached its desk, they, along with their friends and family, have been calling and emailing their concerns. This is a quote from Alicia Burke. She said, it's just been constant action. So to just sit down and listen to his message and hear that he actually listens to families like ours and heard our stories... It actually sounded like he listened. 
Now, like I said before, this is not a complete win, though. And Aaron Burkle said, we're breathing a sigh of relief today, but there's already been a lot of damage done to our community, to families like ours. And we know that this issue is not yet completely resolved. Well, the vetoed bill would have prohibited Ohio minors from receiving gender reassignment surgery, but also from taking puberty blockers, that's the bigger one, or undergoing other hormone therapies. It would have allowed those already undergoing treatments to continue, by the way. Now, the governor said a small number of Ohio children would have been affected by the bill, and I quote, but for those children who face gender dysphoria and for their families, the consequences of this bill could not be more profound. He said he could think of no example where state law overrules the medical decisions of not only parents, but also medical judgment of child's treating physician and medical team. I hate to say this, but I really hope that people look to this case when they're arguing for gender-affirming care. One of the other things that the governor said is that basically he didn't realize all of this misinformation and bullshit about like Uh. surgeries when they're children and all this. He says it's not true. Most of these families aren't even talking about surgery. They're just talking about hormone therapy. They're talking about letting a child be able to wear different clothing to school or get a haircut or use a different name or a pronoun. And so for him to actually be reached by these stories, if the very Republican governor of Ohio can be reached, it gives me hope for the the year coming. It really does. Yeah, especially on this issue. Yeah. You know? Um, and I just want to point out that the the term gender reassignment surgery is the term that was used in the law. Thank not, you. Not a term that either Dana or I would use. <laughs> just um, wanted to make that clear. Uh, next up from CBS News, the Biden administration on Thursday warned Texas it will sue the state if it implements a strict immigration law known as SB4 that would empower the state and local law enforcement officials to arrest, jail and prosecute migrants suspected of entering the U.S. unlawfully. The Justice Department said it would file a lawsuit against SB4 if Texas did not assure federal officials by January 3rd, that's two days from now, that the state will refrain from enforcing the law as planned in March. That's according to a letter sent to Governor Greg Abbott on December 28th and obtained by CBS. In addition to creating illegal entry crimes at the state level, the law would allow Texas judges to issue de facto deportation orders. In its letter, the Justice Department said SB4 would effectively criminalize actions that are already illegal at the federal level, undermine relations with Mexico, and prevent officials from enforcing federal immigration laws, including those designed to grant refuge to migrants fleeing persecution. Quote, because SB4 is unconstitutional and will disrupt the federal government's operations, we request Texas forbear its enforcement. That's Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General Paydag Brian Boynton in his letter to Abbott. Basically, don't fucking do this, man, or you're in a world of hurt. (laughs) If Texas does not heed the Biden administration's demand, quote, the United States intends to file suit to enjoin the enforcement of SB4. In a social media post Thursday, Greg Abbott, who signed SB4 earlier this month after the measure was passed by the Texas legislature, said the Biden administration's legal threat showed hostility toward the rule of law in America. No, it fucking doesn't. You trying to take away the federal government's job of policing your own border is hostility to the rule of law in the United States, specifically the Constitution. He added that the Biden administration not only refuses to enforce current U.S. immigration laws, they now want to stop Texas from enforcing laws against illegal immigration. Yeah, because it's uh, against the Constitution. Renee Ease, a spokeswoman for Abbott, said Texas is prepared to defend SB4 before the Supreme Court. You will lose. 
you will lose, Miss Ease. SB4 is already being challenged in federal court by the ACLU, which has argued it's unconstitutional. The measure would be the strictest state immigration law in modern U.S. history, making unauthorized immigration a state crime, ranging from a misdemeanor to a felony. Entering Texas illegally from Mexico would be treated as a misdemeanor crime, punishable by up to 180 days in jail and a fine of up to $2,000. Illegal reentry into Texas would be a felony offense, punishable with up to 2, 10, or 20 years in jail depending on whether the migrant in question had been previously deported or convicted of certain crimes. So this is just feeding uh, the privately owned prisons that are probably privately owned by Greg Abbott's buddies yep. in Texas. And by the way, it costs a lot more to house a prisoner uh, than the, uh, I mean, we actually get, we, we make billions in tax revenue from immigrants. So it's backwards and stupid. And racist. <laughs> yep. SB4 would also allow Texas magistrates to order migrants suspected of violating the illegal entry or reentry laws to return to Mexico as an alternative to continuing their prosecution. Those found to violate those orders could be charged with a second degree felony. The Mexican government has already said it would not accept returns of migrants from Texas, uh, denouncing SB4 as an anti-immigrant law. Thank you so much, AG. And last in this block, this is from Reuters. Idaho. Idaho cannot enforce a law banning gender-affirming care, such as puberty blockers and hormones for transgender minors. And this is from a federal judge. This is what they ruled. This is another victory for families who had sued the state challenging the law. Now, in a preliminary order on Tuesday, U.S. District Judge B. Lynn Windmill in Boise wrote that the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution guarantees of equal protection and due process well, that gives the parents the right to get gender-affirming care for their children. Tell you what, the 14th Amendment really is doing, doing a lot of good in our country right a now. A lot of work. <laughs> oh, it's a heavy lift in 14, but we'll take it. And this is a quote, transgender children should receive equal treatment under the law. From Windmill, who was appointed, by the way, by Democratic former President Bill Clinton, went on to say parents should have the right to make the most fundamental decisions about how to care for their children. And uh, another quote from someone else in this story, we're thankful the court saw the danger this law represented to our clients and we're determined to fight this ban until Idaho is a safe place to raise every family. That's from Lee Nowlin Sow of the American Civil Liberties Union. And Lee is a lawyer for the plaintiffs, by the way. And that was a statement. Idaho Attorney General Raul Labrador said in a statement that the ruling, and I quote, places children at risk of irreversible harm and that he's going to appeal it. So that's what happens when you have a Republican attorney general who doesn't agree with this stuff. Now, Idaho passes a law banning puberty blockers, hormones, or surgeries aiming to affirm the child's perception of the child's sex if that perception is inconsistent with the child's biological sex. It is one of about 20 Republican-led states, by the way, that have banned or restricted gender-affirming treatments. These aren't threats. 20 states. This has gone through. Now, two families of transgender girls receiving hormone therapy sued the state in May, saying the law would cut off medically necessary care and it violated their rights. Windmill, in granting their motion to block the law's enforcement while he hears the case, wrote that the banned treatments were safe, effective, and medically necessary from, for some adolescents. Courts have been divided, as we know, on legal challenges to gender-affirming bans. Most lower-level courts to consider the bans have blocked them so far, but appeals courts have sided with the states. Now, the Georgia-based 11th U.S. Circuit in August upheld an Alabama ban 
and the Ohio-based Sixth Circuit in September upheld bans in Kentucky and Tennessee. Families challenging the Tennessee ban have asked the U.S. Supreme Court to take up their case. This is the first such petition on the issue, by the way. Now, the St. Louis, Missouri-based Eighth Circuit last year blocked an Arkansas ban, though the court there, they're expected to consider the issue again. So this is going to be ongoing, unfortunately, and I guarantee every schmuck running for president on the Republican side is going to use this as a talking point. And I just, I just want to send a lot of love to my transgender family. If you can drown out this, the noise, try to do it. Um, these fights are going to, you know, these are going to be settled in the courts, unfortunately, and hopefully the, you know, the good's going to prevail. So there's little, there's little glimmers of hope, like we talked about in Ohio. Yeah. It's just so blatantly unconstitutional. Yep. Um, all right, everybody, I've got some more news stories that I want to cover, but, uh, and then we're going to get to the good news. Um, we'll do all of that after a quick break. Stick around. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Helix Sleep has transformed my nights with the best mattress I have ever slept on in my entire life, bar none, hands down, no contest. It's perfect for the way I sleep, and it feels like it was crafted just for me. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, and you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everyone has a different way of sleeping. Helix is very familiar with this concept. They offer a variety of mattress models tailored for specific sleep positions and preferences. They have 20 unique mattresses in the Helix lineup, including the award-winning Lux Collection and the brand-new Elite Collection. They have a mattress for everybody, including options for big and tall sleepers and ones for the little ones, too. The key to finding your perfect fit is that Helix Sleep Quiz. It's an easy way to find the perfect mattress that's designed to complement your body and sleep style. And once you place your order, it'll be delivered right to your doorstep, no extra cost, plus a 100-night free trial and a solid 10 or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. Helix proudly stands behind the quality of every mattress they ship out. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I prefer a medium firm mattress and I love sleeping on my side. And this mattress has changed my life and I am never going back to an old mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. It's no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth. Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Moji Alawode-L. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast dedicated to keeping you informed while making you laugh as we all navigate this post-Roe v. Wade hellscape. The Supreme Court has declared that all of our uteri are just Airbnbs for the seat of the patriarchy. So every week we break down all the garbage news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with the abortion providers and activists we need to be hearing from right now. Plus, we talk to your favorite comedians. Because face it, if your revolution doesn't have laughter, you're doing it wrong. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, subscribe, join us on Patreon. Because when BS is popping, we pop off.
no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I have a couple more news stories for you today before we get to the good news. Um, There was so much news that happened over the week of the holiday that I I just want to make sure I got everything in. First up from David Folkenflik at NPR. When Washington Post owner Jeff Bezos wanted an assured hand to write the newspaper's shaky finances, he turned to Will Lewis, a 54-year-old former editor of the The Daily Telegraph and former publisher of The Wall Street Journal, whom he called exceptional and tenacious. Lewis will start as the Post's publisher and CEO in early January. A dozen years ago, media magnate Rupert Murdoch also turned to Lewis when he wanted to find someone to rectify the hacking and bribery scandals engulfing his British Sunday tabloid, News of the World. Lewis' publicly stated charge was to his his job there was to root out newsroom corruption, cooperate with police, and help settle claims from people targeted by the company's journalists for voicemail and email hacking. The Guardian called him News Corp's cleanup campaigner. A very different picture of Lewis emerges from uh, material presented in London courtrooms in recent months and reviewed by NPR. The man picked to lead the post, a paper with the slogan, Democracy Dies in Darkness, stands accused of helping to lead a massive cover-up of criminal activity when he was acting outside public view. In lawsuits against News Corp's British newspapers, lawyers for Prince Harry and movie star Hugh Grant depict Lewis as a leader of a frenzied conspiracy to kneecap public officials hostile to a multi-billion dollar business deal and to delete millions of potentially damning emails. In addition, they allege, Lewis sought to shield the CEO of News Corp's British arm, News UK, from scrutiny and to conceal the extent of wrongdoing at News of the World's more profitable sister tabloid, The Sun. In sum, the Duke of Sussex and Hugh Grant argue that Lewis was a linchpin of efforts to limit the fallout during a key period between late 2010 and 2012. These concerns about Lewis's actions have been percolating for years. Through a spokesperson, Lewis declined to comment to NPR for this story. He previously denied the broad outlines of these accusations, saying they are utterly unfounded. Lewis has not personally been sued as part of any of this current litigation, which offers greater specificity and sweep to the allegations. In response to detailed questions from NPR for this story, News UK's chief spokesperson pointed to the December 2015 decision by prosecutors not to file criminal charges against the company. What What a great defense that always is, right? Well, we didn't get indicted. Now, at the time, the Crown Prosecution Service said there's no evidence to suggest that email deletion was undertaken in order to prevent or pervert the course of justice. For years, people working on behalf of British tabloids routinely broke privacy laws by breaking into homes, tapping phones, 
hacking into voicemails and emails, and taking photographs and videos in private homes and businesses, all to sell papers. Politicians, celebrities, professional athletes, royals, and actors were all seen by the press and much of the public as fair game for rough treatment. That changed in 2011, when The Guardian revealed that News of the World had hacked into the voicemails of a missing 13-year-old schoolgirl who had been murdered. A flood of investigations and lawsuits ensued, expanding to much of the press. On Friday, British, a British judge ruled that Prince Harry was the victim of phone hacking by Mirror Group Newspapers. That's a rival media outfit. The judge awarded him nearly $180,000 in damages. Damages in British civil cases are typically more modest than those in the United States. Now, as a publisher, News UK is in an undesirable category of its own, having paid approximately $1.5 billion in associated judgments, settlements, legal fees, and related costs since 2011, more than 10 times how much the Mirror Group has reported paying. It's also more than the record $787 million the Murdoch's Fox Corp paid to settle a landmark defamation suit against Fox News over lies it broadcast about fraud in the 2020 election. News UK also said that it had been, quote, paying financial damages to those with proper claims and that it's made commercial sense in some cases to settle. It says its remaining tabloid, The Sun, does not accept liability or make any admissions to the allegations over disputed claims still going through the civil courts. Now, in a statement to the courts this year, Hugh Grant alleged that The Sun arranged um, burglaries, the breaking and entering of private property in order to obtain private information through bugging, landline tapping, and phone hacking. He said it was done with the knowledge and approval of Rebecca Brooks, then editor of The Sun and now chief executive of News UK. This spring, the lead trial lawyer for Hugh Grant and Prince Harry read from a timeline of alleged cover-ups in, in open court. He argued that News UK had acted to conceal the actions by the Sun for years, citing specific emails, memos, and other documents. The two plaintiffs also alleged that Lewis, among other News UK officials, misled police and the Sun, continued to hack people even as the company was being investigated. Now, while the presiding judge has dismissed several of the claims, their cases are proceeding in the courts. Will Lewis's career moved at a brisk pace through some of the most prestigious newspapers in the UK and the other end of the spectrum from the tabloids. He made his mark at the Financial Times, where he broke the news of the ExxonMobil merger in 1999, at that time the largest corporate merger in history. He subsequently served a three-year stint as a business editor of Murdoch's Sunday Times in London. Lewis then joined the rival Daily Telegraph, where he was swiftly promoted to be the paper's editor, the youngest in its history. He published a series of stories about questionable expenses charged by lawmakers of all major political parties. Controversy over Lewis's decision to pay a source about $170,000 for the computer records gave way to accolades for stories that it yielded. Lewis won national awards for the paper and for himself, and this earned him enemies in the bare-knuckle and greatly overlapping worlds of British journalism and politics. In September 2010, Lewis joined News Corp to aid Brooks, the new head of News UK. She had been the editor-in-chief of News of the World and The Sun during some of the years when the hacking was alleged to have been rife, yet has risen with the company. Two months after Lewis left The Telegraph, in, it sent two reporters undercover to speak with a key governmental official with determining whether the Murdochs could acquire Sky, a major satellite TV conglomerate. The minister, a liberal Democrat, told his visitors, I have declared war on Mr. Murdoch, and I think we're going to win. 
and they recorded him on concealed video. On December 21st, 2010, the Telegraph's videotape of the official's remarks appeared not on the paper's website, but on the BBC. The government official was discredited. The assignment to evaluate the sky bid was given to another cabinet minister who happened to socialize with the Murdochs. Hmm. The Telegraph's owners sought to find out how it had been beaten to the punch. The investigative firm Kroll concluded that Lewis arranged the leak to the BBC to help his new bosses by knocking out the official seen as hostile to the takeover, though Kroll didn't have any ironclad proof of this, and Lewis declined to comment. Quote, core to any journalist, and I'm included, is the protection of journalistic sources, whether they're my sources or someone else's sources. That's what Lewis told a subsequent judicial inquiry. Any way that I answer that question, helpful as I would like to be, would endanger that principle. The lead counsel for the inquiry appeared incredulous, uh, though he said Lewis had otherwise been a great assistance. Afterward, Lewis hired the former Telegraph IT staffer. Prince Harry and Grant's lawyers suggested that it was a reward for helping arrange the leak. A month later, in January 2011, News UK lawyers learned from emails that implicated News of the World journalists in wrongdoing, and executives decided to delete millions of emails, the opposing lawyers contended. Hugh Grant and Prince Harry's legal team cites an email that Lewis sent in early February 2011 to his IT chief. He relayed the green light, quote unquote, from a top corporate lawyer to continue what he called, quote, the email migration process, unquote. The lawyers say that this phrase was code for mass erasures. Within a few days, the company deleted more than 15 million emails sent prior to the start of 2008. A police official wrote in a briefing memo that News Corp informed police the next day that there was, quote, no data retained before January 1st, 2008. In all, more than 30 million emails would be deleted. The opposing lawyers say that, uh, though the efforts started before Lewis joined the company. Early July brought news of the hacking of the voicemails uh, of Millie Dowler, that's the 13-year-old girl that had been abducted and killed. And when Rupert Murdoch sat down with Millie's parents and older sister in a suite at a luxury London hotel, Lewis was right by his side. He quietly poured tea. Additional revelations ensued about the newspaper's hacking and bribery of police and more. In swift succession, the Murdochs shuttered News of the World. Rebecca Brooks, often described as like a daughter to Rupert Murdoch, resigned. Murdoch and his son James apologized before a parliamentary committee. They sought to preserve the bid for the broadcasting giant Sky, their own standing in the viability of The Sun, newly expanded to publish on Sundays, by the way, to replace News of the World. News UK's parent company, News Corp, appointed Lewis as one of just two executive members of a new management and standards committee to ensure evidence was preserved and new policies were put in place. But instead, the lawyers for Prince Harry and Grant argue Lewis acted to protect the reputation of Brooks and the Sun. Company executives gave police a hard drive that couldn't have belonged to Brooks, the lawyers allege. Its encryption wasn't compatible with the company's computer system. Brooks's emails from another laptop were also withheld. Hmm. And they accused Lewis of helping blame a leader Labor Party MP, a critic of Murdoch's, uh, for the need to delete emails, claiming he had paid to secure illegal access uh, to her computer data. No evidence for this claim by News UK has been made public, nor has a reason been given for why that would have been, uh, why that would have required deletions. The fresh complaints allege Lewis made false, misleading, or material incomplete statements to police in December of 2011 and January of 2012. 
The Murdochs then withdrew their bid for Sky. Years later, they sold their stake. Brooks was charged with criminal conspiracy to commit hacking, but was acquitted on four counts. She returned as News UK's chief executive in 2015 and remains on the job today. And then Lewis's career flourished. In 2012, he moved back to New York to become chief creative officer at News Corp globally, which includes the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, and many other outlets. Two years later, Murdoch and News Corp CEO Robert Thompson named Lewis the chief executive of its Dow Jones division and publisher of the journal. He served for six years, earning marks as accomplished and sure-footed. He stepped down in 2020, ambitions still intact. And later that year, Lewis was on the shortlist to lead the BBC when some of these questions first arose about his involvement in the mass deletions of emails and other records as first reported by Byline Investigates. Now, in 2021, Lewis created an online video service called The News Movement that designed, uh, that's designed to unpack current events for Gen Z. Last year, he rose to be vice chairman of the board of the Associated Press. And this fall, Lewis announced he had secured financing to acquire the Telegraph's parent company, which had been placed in bankruptcy. Then Bezos and the Washington Post came calling. Acting Post Chief Executive Patty Stone, uh, let's see, Stonesifer, declined to comment through a spokesperson about what she knew of the allegations against Lewis in London before choosing him for the job of publisher and CEO of the Washington Post. According to Vanity Fair, Lewis charmed Post staffers at a meet and greet gathering last month, despite standing behind the need for sharp job cuts, which we've been seeing a lot of lately, including Greg Sargent. In a profile of Lewis last month, reporters for the Post asked him about claims for Murdoch's former tabloid journalists that he sold them out by providing damning information to the police, and Lewis denied it. Quote, I did whatever I could do to preserve journalistic integrity, he told them. The paper also stated that he said, quote, he had a junior position in News Corp's Management and Standards Committee. And he added, I took a view very early on that I'm never going to talk about it, and it's either right or wrong that I've done that. So Lewis begins at the Post after the new year. Um, and we're seeing quite a few of the post journalists leaving. They've been bought out. Their contracts have been bought out or they've been given a severance. I don't know. I don't feel good about former leader of Telegraph and uh, Wall Street Journal and the Post, the New York Post taking over the Washington Post. And we'll keep an eye on it. All right, I have one more quick story before the good news, but I need to take a quick break. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. It's no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth. It's no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, 
shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth. The issues of the day are really complicated. Everybody loves a good hot take, but really understanding an issue takes some digging. I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal and national security analyst. And I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down to a soundbite or a tweet. Join us each week as we dig deep into pressing legal topics. Listen to It's Complicated anywhere you get your podcasts and check out our YouTube channel. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, I have one more story for you, and it's very personal to me. Uh, I'd like to give a content warning here for sexual assault. The story is from Task and Purpose. They say a major overhaul in how the military investigates and prosecutes sexual assaults and other serious crimes launches today as the Pentagon shifts decision-making from unit commanders to independent prosecutors to determine if an accusation should go to court-martial. Starting today, cases of military members accused of sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse, and murder, regardless of where they occur, will be overseen by an independent office staffed by specially trained lawyers the Pentagon is calling the Special Trial Councils. A senior defense official said this in a briefing with reporters last week. Each military branch will have its own office of Special Trial Council, and the lead prosecutors for each will report to the service secretaries, the Secretary of the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps. Historically, service members accused of serious crimes could be investigated and prosecuted by legal teams under the same local chain of command as the defendant, a system that many alleged created conflicts of interest for commanders. Those cases will now be handled by independent prosecutors who will decide what actions, if any, from a court-martial to dismissal, a case will require. In 2025, the office authority will extend to sexual harassment cases. That's so good. The Office of Special Trial Counsel was established by an executive order signed by President Joe Biden in July. The independent office grew from recommendations made by uh, an independent review commission on sexual assault in the military, stood up by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in 2021. The The DOD accepted the commission's 82 recommendations, which centered on accountability, prevention, climate, culture, and victim support. Quote, there's no concern for our careers about which cases we send forward or don't send forward. That's what an army official said, describing the incentives and motivations that an independent counsel will bring to the cases. Quote, we're just interested interested in achieving justice. So I think that's where if you're going to see a difference in the number of quality of cases getting referred, it's going to be reflective of that. The reforms to the Uniform Code of Military Justice aim to, quote, better protect victims and ensure prosecutorial decisions are fully independent from the chain of command. That's according to Biden's 2023 order. For sexual assault cases, the Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marine Corps office will decide whether to proceed with a court-martial 
rather than leaving it up to military commanders, a practice long decried by victim advocates as biased and unethical. I am one of those victim advocates. I have been talking about this and fighting about this for, oh gosh, 13 years now. Quote, this shift should assure sexual assault victims that if they choose to make an unrestricted report, the case will be handled professionally and consistently with the best practices and procedures of civilian prosecution offices. The Pentagon is hiring 2,000 specialized primary prevention personnel to staff the offices, which will have outposts located every military base around the world. Quote, our special trial counsel hasn't just been sitting at home waiting for December 28th to hit before we started doing work. That's what someone from the Army said. There's not going to be a sudden flood that comes in and overwhelms us. We've been working on those cases. The new offices will also be able to act on cases already underway using a discretionary reachback authority included in the fiscal year 2024 NDAA signed by President Joseph Biden last Friday. The ability for prosecutors to reach back will come in handy for, quote, offenses that start on one side of that December 28th date and end on the other side of it. Certified special trial counsels will decide whether to use the authority on a case-by-case basis, the Army official said, and, and it will depend on how far a case has progressed under previous UCMJ procedures. That's the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Quote, if it's the day before the trial, I wouldn't anticipate that we would come in and pump the brakes on that and try to restart the process. Those cases that are just being reported or had just started an investigation, those would be good candidates for us to exert authority over. The military service offices have begun reviewing recent cases that fall under the covered criminal offenses and in some cases are providing their offices expertise. Since September, the Navy's been working on those cases and prosecuting them when necessary. Quote, we're all aware of the cases, and we are staffed and ready to continue to do those cases, as well as any new cases that arise. That's from the Navy, a Navy spokesperson. In the Marine Corps, officials have engaged with the Criminal Investigative Division on investigations and provided, quote, non-binding input to the commander on those cases. The new office's debut stumbled in early December when the Army fired its top sexual assault prosecutor after a 10-year-old email surfaced in which he had appeared to belittle a victim's claims. In 2013, in his role as military defense counsel, Brigadier General Warren Wells emailed his staff that, quote, you and your teams are now the only line of defense against false allegations and sobriety regret, unquote. He told them they were only, quote, personal, they were the only personal defenders of troops that no lawyers would defend, even when all signs indicate innocence. Oh, glad he was fired. The vetting process for his replacement is ongoing. In the meantime, Colonel Robert Rodriguez will act as the lead prosecutor. Just to be clear, there's been no impact on our ability to begin exercising independent authority on December 28th and start doing our jobs. That's what the Army official said about the firing incident of that guy from the 10-year-old email. Quote, our team is in place, they're trained, they're resourced and ready to get to work, and this change has not affected our readiness in any way. The newly minted offices will cover cases in the United States and those involving U.S. military personnel at international bases. The Navy will have offices in Japan and Italy, the Marine Corps in Okinawa, Japan, the Air Force in Japan and Germany, and the Army in South Korea, Germany, and Italy. If you want to subscribe to Task and Purpose, you'll get the latest in military news and culture in your inbox daily. It's a great resource. I love it. This is a very personal fight for me. You know we got 
the Pentagon policy uh, changed to approve leave for abortion travel. And they are even paying for that travel, which is incredible. And, you know, we've been working on, uh, on this, getting the decision on whether to prosecute sexual assault out of the chain of command for over, gosh, like I said, over a decade, almost 13 years now. It starts today. This is a big deal. And I couldn't be prouder of everyone who's been working so hard and so long to make this happen. It's going to save lives. Everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. It's no surprise that newsmakers try to manipulate the audience. They want you to believe that they are the one holding the line and they'll use any trick they can to get you there. But don't let them fool you. Get unspun. I'm Amanda Sturgill. I've been a reporter, and today I teach future reporters to cut the spin and think critically about what newsmakers say. My podcast, Unspun, shows you how to know when you're being manipulated by the news. Learn to spot the tricks and how to make up your own mind about what's true. So if you're tired of being fooled by the news, subscribe to Unspun today. Unspun, because you deserve the truth. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news. And if you have good news, confessions, corrections, a shout out to a loved one, a self shout out. We love self shout outs. If you have a whoopee story, a blankie story, uh, if you have a pod pet tax photo you would care to share with us or an adoptable pet in your area, if you don't have a pet of your own, you can send that to us. Uh, what what else do we have? Theses and dissertation. Uh, what's the model of that oxalotl? Uh, still my new favorite <laughs> thing. <laughs> Any animal you want us to guess the breed of or type or genus? I don't know. No, let's not go into genus. But anything at all you want to send to us. We love your good news. We need a lot of good news this year to to fuel us for the fight that we have ahead of us in 2024. Send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Mike A, pronouns he and him. Happy holidays, Beans Queens. Long time, first time. I'm excited to share some great news. I work for a small IT company and was promoted to vice president in March, which was a goal I'd been working towards, but it came sooner than expected. Around that time, we started working on a proposal to try to win a very large IT support contract for the VA. Excellent. On Friday, the contract was awarded and we won. While it's definitely the best thing that's happened to our company and will help us more than double in size, the best part is how much we'll be able to improve the lives of our nation's veterans. We already support the VA quite a bit, and it's extremely rewarding, and this new opportunity should make a huge difference over the next five years. I can't wait to get started in January, and AG, thank you for your service. Pet tax are two pups that my wife and I have had in our 15 years together. Our 15th anniversary was December 13th. Happy anniversary, Mike. Charlie, the fawn-colored pug, actually 16 now, although he was younger in this photo, and Wilson, the black one, crossed the Rainbow Bridge in 2020 at 12 years old. Thanks for all you do for our country. I try to never miss an episode, and the Daily Beans Jack and Cleanup make my long commute actually enjoyable. Have a great holiday, and here's to some guilty verdicts in 2024. Nice. Look at the babies. No. I want to scratch their faces. (laughs) They're little cuties. The teeth, the bottom teeth 
on this right? one are killing me. That's actually what my top teeth look right now because <laughs> the root canal. <laughs> Just one of them, though. Just one of them. Oh, why oh, don't you yeah. take uh, take the next two, my friend? I'm happy to. All right, this is from Fangirl. Pronoun she and her. Happy 2024, Beans Crew. Random good news picks. My son played a golf tournament at Aviera Golf Club. Aviera. Yep, Aviera Golf Club in Carlsbad recently. Uh, when another golfer in the group lost a ball in the woods, my husband went to help search. He found this golf ball, which is clearly vintage of the summer of 2023. He was so excited to show it to me. Love to you all in 2024 and keep on rocking in the free world. And this golf ball says he's guilty of all 37 counts. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So good. All right. This next one's from Jenny. Pronoun she and her. Hi, Beans gals and guys. Listening to your show religiously from Sydney, Australia. Yes, we're similarly invested in the future of democracy and good in the world. You wouldn't believe how closely some politicians here are modeling their behavior or arguments on the crazy U.S. talking points. Makes me mad and, of course, winds me up. In an effort to encourage greater diversity in your good news section of the show, and hearing now your story from the Northern Territory, I suggest... What's new, kangaroo? <laughs> Here's a photo of one about to punch me to get my apple. These things are scary as shit, by the way. P.S. I didn't see Allison on the today on today's show, but we'll check it out now. It's more commercial content than I would normally watch. Anyways, love all your shows and content. And let's get this done. Ah, thanks again. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever seen a kangaroo like fight a human person yeah. or another kangaroo it's the craziest thing if they're they're literally boxers they're, they're marsupial swole. boxers they're they, swole they are they are and our producer has a note here instead of what's new kangaroo perhaps rue the day uh, rue like the it. day nice uh all right i'll grab the next two here um, from Liz, pronoun she and her. This was a stressful, discombobulating holiday season due to my parents having serious health issues. I'm so sorry, Liz. I wanted to share this most adorable elf, but didn't get to until today. The young man in the photo is now 25 years old, and he's a working jazz musician, nominated for a Grammy for his work on an album with Trombone Shorty. I love Trombone Shorty. That's oh awesome. God. He is my nephew. I couldn't be more proud of him for building a career in a difficult field. Uh-huh. Coming out of a difficult time. Shout out to Orlando Gilbert, the cutest Christmas elf. <laughs> oh, Cutie look patootie. at this. I know. And all y'all, all you Luguminati, if you have not heard Trombone Shorty, you absolutely must. Incredible. I think I saw him at the Jazz Fest a couple years back. Just super amazing. Um, so congratulations and shout out to Orlando Gilbert. Look at the baby. So sweet. Um, all right. I'll get this one here too. Sean, pronouns he and him. Hey there, Beans Queens. Longtime listener, first time caller. I love the show and appreciate the concise and hilarious commentary on the steadily growing amount of news we must all filter through daily. What's it going to be like for future generations when looking back at this era in history? Aye, aye, aye. Anyways, my main reason for sending this was that a few months back, you were having to mention the House Ways and Means Committee very frequently. And one day I thought I heard AG say the Way Too Mean Committee, and I laughed to myself quite hard. <laughs> but now that that's all I hear, but in the former guy's voice, the Way Too Mean Committee, every time you say it, it's almost, I'm almost surprised he hasn't found that insult all by himself. But we all know how witty he is. Just thought I'd share my laugh with the audience. For pet tax, what the mutt? 
Here's some pictures of our dog that passed earlier this year, Darby. We never got a concrete answer to what breed he was. We could only speculate, which is why I'd like your expert opinion. Expert? Expert opinion? That's right. Okay. He had a pretty horrible life before he was rescued. And we like to think we gave him the best possible life we could when he came into our lives. Sean, I know that you did. Thanks for everything you both do. Look at this little soft-coated wheat and terrier mix. God loves a terrier. God loves a terrier. Look at that last photo. So cute. What an adorable little Muppet. I know. So I think Australian Shepherd and, and Wheaton and maybe a Jack Russell, there's definitely some Terrier. Probably a little Chihuahua mixed in. Who knows? Yep, yep. Really, who knows? All right, this last story. This is from Angie. This is the last good news submission of the first day of 2024. Angie, pronouns she and her. I'm going to chalk this up to being teacher tired. But tonight, when I put my cats to bed, yes, they have their own room. I told them my usual... Sleep tight, love you, see you in the morning, and be kind to one another. Without even thinking, I added, vote blue over Q and take your furry friends with you. (laughs) I'd say I had cracked, but that's probably the best advice I've ever given them. Thanks for everything you do, ladies. Below, from left to right, are Catan, Keek, and Bitly. Oh, look at these babies. Oh my gosh, so funny. That's That would be great if cats could vote. Okay, AG, for one second, were you like, there's four cats in this picture? Yes, I was. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. it's a and mirror, then, everyone. We're doing fine. We're going to be fine <laughs> this year. I'm teacher there's... tired, too. I'm not even a teacher. <laughs> uh, and then from left to right, confuse me, because there's only, the, like, it's like, they're even Steven, except for, like, by an ear. So yeah. I'm guessing the one in front. I would think so. Is Catan, Keek is in the back there, and Bitly is the... Is the gray and white tabby? I don't know, but they're beautiful, beautiful cats, and I love them all. I want to scratch their bellies. So good. Thank you. This kangaroo photo is going to crack me up forever because it's coming right at you. He's coming right at your face. He is. He wants your apple. And yeah. by that, I mean your Adam's apple. He's really going to take He's you. He's going to punch you in the throat. <laughs> He's going to throw a punch you in your Adam's apple. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Um, Thanks, everybody, for giving us a little break over the holidays. Please, please, please listen to the latest episode of the Jack podcast. I'm very, very proud of it. Um, And uh, I I hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed uh, interviewing Judge Ludig. And of course, Andrew is always wonderful. And um, gosh, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. It's like we're back on the normal schedule. We're doing it. We're Um, doing it. It's weird, right? All right. I know. All right. And in in the interest of time travel, it is not yet the new year for you and I, my friend. So I want to wish you a very, very happy new year. And to you as well, a little shout out on my final Mm -hmm. thoughts. We're starting the new year. I've got three gigs on the books right now that are not galas. They're just purely comedy. First one's going to be Tampa Improv, January 28th. Uh, Second one's going to be March 8th. I know some of you have been trying to get tickets to this Winter Pride Fest, just my comedy shows instead of the entire weekend of Ski Weekend. They're now on sale. So for those of you that were having a hard time before, it wasn't you. It was definitely the website. So you can get single tickets just for my show on Friday, March 8th. And the website is winterpridefestcentraloregon.com. Or you can go to my website and there's a direct link on my uh, upcoming shows. 
And then April 12th, my birthday, I'm going to be spending it with those of you in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the Sunshine Cathedral. So those tickets are also on sale. You can go to my website, danagoldberg.com. And in the meantime, I'll be doing the Lord's work at all of the HRC galas mm-hmm. and the nonprofits around the country that I help raise money for and doing, you know, fighting the good fight. So thanks for everyone who supported me, continues to support AG and myself. And we're going to bring some laughter in what's going to be a very exhausting, but hopefully uh, fulfilling year ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think so too. All right, my friends, everybody will be back in your ears tomorrow. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take all that family with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for the Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right, the boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. How cool is that? Hey, this is Scotty Pippen, and you're listening to The Dan Dunn Show. And wait, hold on. The name of the show is what? All right, sure. Scotty Pippen momentarily forgot the show's name, but there's a first time for everything. Hey, everyone. This is Scoot McNary. I'm here with Dan Dunn on What Are You Drinking? What's it called again? Fine, twice. But famous people really do love this show. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. What do you mean for some reason, Will Forte? What's going on? Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please send help. Send help? Oh, come on, Kurt Russell. Can somebody out there please help me? I'm Dita Von Teese, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. <laughs> Let me try one more time. Come on. Is that oh, right? Sorry. What we're no, drinking? It's amazing. It's, it's it amazing. Right it's just... Is it right? Ah, that's better. So be like Dita Von Teese, friends, and listen to what we're drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. 
an Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.